Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster and it's certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Webbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Now, do you do well in pub quizzes? Do you know general knowledge stuff? Would you like a certificate? Well, you're in luck. Uh, we finally cleared the backlog of certificates for our hugely popular quiz, Candidates Number 10. So if you come on and do the quiz now, you'll get a certificate much more quickly. Uh, you just need to email me your name and your number, matt.chorley at times.radio. And you can come on and play our quiz, Candidates Number 10. You get 10 questions, loosely connecting cabinet jobs. The more questions you get right, the better job you get. We put you in the cabinet alongside our other listeners and guests. Uh, yeah, so matt.chorley at times.radio if you want to come on the radio and have a go at a quiz. Right, coming up on today's episode of the podcast, it is Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's unpacked. Tim Shipman is here to pause the action from the House of Commons between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. Don't forget, at midday every Wednesday, where at least when PMQ's is on, you can also, as well as listening along on the radio, you can watch along on the Times Radio YouTube channel. I know, so you can see uh, Tim Shipman on. Uh, right, that's coming up in just a moment. First, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel, and on a Wednesday, it is, of course, the duo known as Alibert. It's Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. The Columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yeah, you've got your own jingle. Yeah, That's fantastic. That's good. It's the way it's so serious. It's sounded so serious, yeah, <laughs> it's, but it's the news. Alibert. Well, Alibert. Well, Robert, we are serious. Yes. No, we are. I know. That's true. Alice That's Thompson, Robert Crampton are both here. They're both here in the studio. Sadly, not wheel, wheeling in a, a suitcase full of cash. No, wine first and now cash, isn't it? Really? What is it about, I don't know, this government and suitcases? Everything seems to go on. If it's not suitcases <laughs> of booze going into number 10, it's suitcases of cash. 
getting going stopped, out. It stopped at the border, yeah. Alice, what do you make of this? We've just heard from Lord Agnew, the minister who quit uh, the government over the failure. He just seems completely baffled as to why... The thing I genuinely don't understand is that... Is the, so £47 billion was paid out on this loan scheme. Mm-hmm. £7 billion of it, they say, might never be paid 17. back. £17. Yeah, 17 billion. £4.9 billion suspected to be lost to yeah. Ford. And the government's just like, oh, well. But that's why Lord Nagley resigned, didn't he? Mm. That and the fact that he wasn't invited to a single party. Because when I interviewed him, he was quite <laughs> upset about that. And he's only, as he told me, 90 seconds away from the Prime Minister's office. So the Prime Minister could have come It could have been asked. that at a moment's notice. Yeah. And yeah. he was almost the only one, I think, he wasn't invited apart from Liz Truss. But I do think this is a really serious story because the yeah. problem is that Rishi Sunak, everyone adored because he gave away money. And you, we all know how easy it is to give away money. And he literally was giving it away with absolutely no holes barred. So no one was pulled up on this. It was very easy to do. And I think while the rest of us in that first pandemic were thinking about how we could volunteer and it was all rather sort of nice and cosy and popping around to your neighbours and seeing what you could do. There were obviously were people who were much brighter than we were in some ways, I think, maybe, well, and looking at it and honest. going, you know, well, we're going to take advantage of this. Mm. And they really have taken advantage of it. And Rishi Sunak should have seen that. It wouldn't have been very difficult, as we say in our piece. You know, it would only have taken 10 minutes, 15 minutes to have checked out each one of these. And they should have been checked out by the Treasury and they should have been checked out by officials. And they're still not being checked out. Well, I suppose that's, that's the difference. Is I've got some... I've mm. made this point before, Robert. I've got yeah. some sympathy for the fact that actually... 10, 50 minutes for each one is fine. But when you've got thousands, thousands, thousands... Yeah, and there, was a bit... there would have been stories in 2020 saying yeah. people are waiting for their money, yeah, their business yeah. has already gone back. Yeah. So I understand the... Yeah, it's what's let's get help now. out there. It's what's happening now. But now they know it's a bomb. They yeah, seem... and the reason it's in the newspaper is not because the government's released anything. It's because uh, we, we've dug these out from yeah. the, from the uh, insolvency service. These are people who uh, have been disqualified... Uh, as uh, directors or, or, or have had bankruptcy proceedings issued against them because of uh, uh, lying about their, uh, the, the loans that they needed. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a hugely widespread, and like you say, the government seems to be shrugging its shoulders, but the reason it's doing that is because it's embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't want the... Uh, it doesn't. It wants this to go away. But on a purely mathematical to, well, basis, well, yeah, you think you'd think that the, would matter. G- given mm. the, the cost of living crisis dominated cabinet yesterday, they need they're trying to find cost free ideas to try to ease the cost of living. We could do quite a lot with five billion pounds yeah. if they got it back. I guess they're thinking they might, you know, it'd be a struggle to get it back. Uh, they got, you know, it bung up the courts. Uh, they've got to employ. Mm. They've, they've set up a task force, haven't they? Mm. Which. Uh, I guess is, uh, but it undermines from, from everything else they do because if you can't be bothered to go after that kind of amount of money, then it's very difficult with things like universal credit to start yeah, cutting yeah, there yeah, and yeah. there and saying we're not going to pay for free school meals and holidays. I mean, all those things that really don't add up to very much in mm. comparison to this then fall through because people go, "Well, God, if you can't well, even yeah. be bothered, you hear about community centres and or, or you know, abuse shelters going going bust yeah. for want of five grand or ten grand or whatever," uh, and then. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not. It, it doesn't really incentivise people to behave honestly, does it? Or, no, and actually, it or, also just makes people feel you. You know, if you can't be bothered to do that, why should we be all then cutting back? Because actually, the reason we're cutting back is because we spent so much during the pandemic to a certain yeah. extent. So they've got to do this, and they've got to do it, and f- to make it look more fair. And I think Rishi Sunak, when he's not doing his swimming pool up in Yorkshire, should be <laughs> trying to claw back this money. But also, this this was. I mean, Rishi Sunak could do with a bit of. A publicity drive, yeah, a positive publicity drive. Right. But if he came out and said, "I'm going to, I'm not going to get it all back. I know that, but I'm going to work day and night to get back what I can," you would think that would be a good move politically, wouldn't you? Uh, but it's just slightly baffling. It is baffling. Uh, yes, I'm baffled. <laughs> 
Good. We are all baffled. <laughs> and, and a bit annoyed. And cross, you know, yes. Yeah, because, you know, that's my taxes. Yeah. <laughs> but as a way, yeah, sometimes... When you pay your taxes, you kind of want them to be being spent... So, it's just one of the things that sometimes, way. you know, when it seems... Like, when everyone's very cross about something, well, I can sort of see where they're coming from. I just... Yeah. This, like, this yeah. I just find... And the story's about... There's a gambler who had £2.72 in his account. Yeah. He used a £5,000 bounce-back loan to fund poker games after claiming his company turned over £200,000. Yeah. And we know how much the gambling companies made. I mean, the problem is, I think, is that people like Lord Agnew were saying this for quite a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like they didn't know this was happening. Yeah. People were telling them, there were whistleblowers who were saying, this is really well, not he just working. Said, he just said that he knew about these suitcases mm. of cash because he wrote mm. to the border force and said, congratulated them <laughs> on at least stopping the cash leaving the country. Mm. And George Greenwood, who's um, written this story, FOI'd for the letter, which has been lost. Yeah. Anyway, we found about it anyway. A sandwich shop owner received a £35,000 loan before using it to, for the refurbishment of his garden. Mm-hmm. Gambling loans yeah. and a new business that went... But what There's a lot we... of gambling. A lot of gambling. A lot of gambling. Yeah. Although yeah. you're right, there are people who desperately, desperately needed that money. But then there were also people who were sort of... It was also semi-alright when they had second homes and they, they were starting to use money for that. And, and, I mean, it was just really blurred lines. And I think the government, as you're right, they were panicked at the beginning, but they should have got an act together by the time, you know, two years later, we should know where the money's going. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that was part of the deal that, you know, you can get the money, but we might come back after mm. you if it turns out. We will come back after yeah, you. it's a bit dodge. Uh, very good. Uh, let's move on and talk about Biff, Chip and Kipper books. Oh, yeah. My favourite books. <sighs> I <laughs> went through them with four sets of children. Yeah, I do. No, the one I liked most was the one in China, actually. Now, so this is was one. This, there's anything this, racist happening? This story. No, it was actually, they were all, it was a lot of pottery there, though. And right. it, I did learn about the Forbidden City. I've learned quite a lot about Biff and Chip, actually. Right. Oxford University Press has pulped copies of The Blue Eye, in which the young characters are transported to a foreign land with the help of a magic key. Mm-hmm. The children find themselves in a busy street market, which appears to be somewhere in the Middle East, where the men wear white turbans and a woman is dressed in a niqab. Let's stay together, says Biff. The people don't seem very friendly. And Will says, I don't like this place. It's scary. Mm. And it's been pulped now because that's racist. Well, that's... I didn't. I missed out on Biff and Chip. My kids are a little bit older than yours. Uh, oh, so, I've definitely been through them. Yeah, I don't. Or maybe I just. Maybe I just uh, starved my kids of their yeah, company. Uh, what were you still on, Peter and Jane? No, no, we did other stuff. Maisie and. Uh, so I quite Miffy, like no, Miffy, Miffy, <laughs> Miffy was with them. Uh, but these are like Dutch. school books, aren't they? These sort of get school yeah. books. Harder. Yeah, and I, the thing I thought about Biff and Chip that it wasn't racist. Actually, it was quite well. So we had Charles Camus in the second series. I remember, and I thought that was good because yeah. that was a. You know that that they, they were they were more rounded than most of the Peter and James had been. I mean, this which... was published in two thousand and one. I mean, they, it's obvious that there are some uh, works of much loved works of children's literature. You know, I mean, Enid Blyton comes to mind, where there are sort of I don't know about racist, but there are certainly kind of classist stereotypes in uh, Enid Blyton. You know, the, uh, the the people you know who uh, live in the wood or whatever. You know, they're they're kind of it's, it's a sort of metaphor for a council estate, I think. Uh, and maybe that should be looked at. I guess that she's been sort of cancelled, hasn't she? But something from 2001, it, it seems pretty mild to me. It seems pretty mild. Uh, all you just do, going to a, a foreign marketplace might be a bit, is a bit scary. Because well, the whole, a, the a, whole point is they have this key and the key glows, mm, right. doesn't it? Yeah. And then they end up, they appear somewhere and, and it could be space or underwater. Was there a dog or... called Floppy as well? Was it yeah, Floppy? Biff, um, Biff, Chip, Kipper. Uh, oh, what was the dog called? That's a good it was, Floppy. It was I read, Floppy, I, yeah, something like that. I read that in the paper this morning. I didn't know that. But, uh, it just seemed, it did seem actually brilliantly bland in some ways. I mean, seemed, by the time I got through the I, fourth I lot, I, I remember, was like... I remember there was a all, all of my issues with them. It wasn't the... Racial connotations, which I thought they just went on a bit. In it. Yeah, there was a Cheddar Gorge one. Do you remember? 
My children then had to go and visit the Cheddar Gorge. I remember they, they, they took it quite seriously. <laughs> it sounds like a complete overreaction from yeah, Oxford I think University, that. I have to say. Uh, they, they, it, it's not racist to say that some kid transported suddenly also to Also pulping a... them. It suggested that, I yeah. mean, just say, you know, we've moved on. We've got some new characters. Just write some new books. Yeah. You don't need to make a big... I don't know. I think, I think uh, my concern is that where there are genuine issues with outdated racist well, tropes and mm. things, yeah. which we should stop using, we should remove, this sort of stuff gives sort of woke bashers... Mm. Exactly. Uh, and also people just need to be able to, to teach their children to read. So the, the main thing is we need to get more reading that actually if we start being pedantic about it and... And there was, there was, a, um, there was a thing, wasn't there? The, the Times did a story about some, some particularly right-on children's books and I just thought they just sounded awful mm. they've got to have a sense of humour these books and actually Biff and Chip did try a bit there was there, you know, <laughs> we were reading different ones the ones we were ploughing our way through oh yeah well once you got on the sort of sophisticated like I think it was probably series 7 or 8 your children probably were reading well enough but then not to have to keep going it's my leapfrog the um, yeah very good. Um, uh, right, that's Biff and Chip. We've taken care of that. Um, uh, you've written a column on you. This wasn't the. I thought we were going to talk about the, that your 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 lack of social etiquette column, Tom uh, Robert. But instead, we're talking about <laughs> Tom, that's not etiquette. <laughs> you just called him the wrong name. Um, uh, but you've written about Ukraine as well. I wrote a column yesterday about Ukraine uh, because there, there was this one particular. I think we're all that stage uh which is as sad but true where you kind of get compassion fatigue or horror fatigue uh when something's been going on for a couple of months you devour uh every last bit of news on it to begin with and then um other things start to intervene and it, you become a little bit inured to the awfulness of what's going on and but one one particular story at the weekend uh when a cruise missile hit a block of flats in odessa which has been fairly uh, unscathed so far, killing a three-month-old baby girl, her mother and her grandmother, uh, when the, the dad happened to be out of the shops, just really cut through for me because uh, you just think, what on earth is worth... What, what, there's nothing really unless you're... There's, there's, there's nothing in this war which is worth paying that sort of price yeah. for. I mean, I'm not saying the Ukrainians... I don't think they're right to be... Fighting back. I mean, in terms of in terms of what Russia's doing, uh, it was Robert's point as well that the, the father saying when his the grandmother, that his wife, and the tiny baby's killed when he says to the reporter, "Take the nappies because I won't need them now. Someone else mm. needs them more." And you thought that that was the awful, poignant yeah. moment. You thought this man's actually thinking of other people at a time when not enough people are thinking about him and his family. Probably. Yeah, and he'd put it on social media. It wasn't that it wasn't exploitative because he'd put the pictures up mm. there and the and there was a little home video uh, was shot on a phone of the uh, little of the baby girl Kira and oh, you know I was thinking my own kids uh, and he just I don't know what I was saying really I just wanted to say something you know I just wanted to mark it because uh, because like I say we get other things have intervened and the Ukraine and, the and Ukraine is, thing is gradually slipping down the news agenda isn't it and, uh, and you're right and partly it's because I mean it's the nature of news is the new mm. and there's nothing new about this war it's just the same awfulness mm. yes and you get that all the time you know and we, we probably all get it when you write a column on something other than that yeah you get well, why oh you think that's the most important thing do you and someone yeah. knows because every, you know there's nothing to, you're still appalled by it. It yes. doesn't mean you're not appalled by it because yeah. you've chosen to write about yeah. Matt Hancock or HRT or whatever it might be. It is actually one of the best things about the social media now, Instagram and Twitter, and that you actually do get some of these stories continually coming up yeah. in your feed because otherwise it is harder. You can block it off more easily. And 
And it is fatigue, isn't it? I mean, that's, that, that's the problem. You just you feel guilty that you're not looking every day at these stories, but they're so horrendous and horrific. And I think there's only so much, yeah. and, and you want and to the, write about it the whole time, but it, num- it's hard, isn't the it? The numbers are, are really getting quite staggering. I mean, we were we we lost 400 odd servicemen in uh, in in Iraq, I think, or 400 in Afghanistan, and and similar uh, similar numbers in Iraq. Uh, but we're talking about tens of thousands yeah. now in this conflict, civilians and, and soldiers on, on both sides. It, I mean, it's getting up to kind of World War II standards mm-hmm. of uh, mortality. And, and obliteration of cities. I mean, that's the extraordinary and, 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 yeah, and you think this is... Even if, there, even, if this were, even if there was a deal done tomorrow, and I guess there will be a deal at some point, there's going to be... I suspect there's I was be, really struck in um, Boris Johnson talking last night, clearly... Mm. Sort of painting the outline of something. There's going to be partition, isn't there? Yeah. And there's going to be a partition and a peace line and uh, laying and, laying and, out and, what could what what Putin yeah. could claim was victory. That yeah, he's done and, his military operation and what Zelensky is prepared to accept. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that will happen. And but this also, but, but given when you've got these numbers of casualties and this amount of damage, that is going to that puts that, that's mm. decades to put that right. Yeah, uh, because you've got everybody is going yeah. to be in a situation where they know somebody. Uh, who's who's lost somebody? Yeah. I thought um, one of the most amazing bits was when Norman Foster said he wanted to come in and help rebuild. That that, that that's the only hopeful message you can give is that. But then if we need if, to come back if, in, if the if the result is settlement, not victory, there's always the threat it could happen. Yeah, again, you know, again. Yeah, you'll be in some sort of armed standoff like yeah. Cyprus or or yeah, or, or Ireland yeah. or you know Palestine or, or, or you know yeah, the, the majority of your schools and your hospitals completely destroyed yeah. I mean that's the problem in some of these cities there really is no infrastructure left at all is there no well it's, it's a great column and it's no. a good reminder that um that we, everyone is still thinking about it even if it's not you know top of the the news agenda all the time Anna Thompson and Robert Crouch and then of course you can read them both in the Times every week just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box up next it's PMQ's Unpacked Botox Cosmetic out of botulinum toxin A FDA approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley. And Tim Shipman. 
Yeah, very good afternoon to you. It's Matt Jolly here on Times Radio. If you're watching along on the Times website or on the Times Radio YouTube channel, we are live as well. Tim Shipman, Chief Political Commentator for the Sunday Times, is here. Tim, how are you? I'm very well, Matt. We're already, it comes around quicker and quicker, another end of term PMQs. They've only been back for two weeks. Uh, they're off again next week to prepare for the Queen's speech. What do you think Keir Starmer will choose to go at? I mean, the only sadness is it's not Angela Rayner across the dispatch <laughs> box, isn't it? Keir Starmer's Surely gonna... Keir Starmer could have got a bit of COVID or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's going to uh, flash his tightly done up top button at Boris Johnson <laughs> and we'll see what happens. I mean, well, they could leap on the, the, the running news story on COVID and, and take that back um, to Boris Johnson's decisions uh, at the start of the pandemic. Um, I think more likely... Well, you know, since it's end of term and we've got local elections and Labour are campaigning hard on the cost of living, I'd be very surprised if we didn't hear quite a chunk of that. Um, be interesting to see if they delve into immigration. Um, there's a an urgent question on the government's plans um, uh, coming, and it's uh, it's been a, a sort of a running sore for 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 the government. But Labour have traditionally been a little bit queasy about getting stuck into immigration, so I would think we will have. Uh, Keir Starmer's best um, local election messages um, uh, ad infinitum. Yes, uh, uh, closely followed by uh, Boris Johnson's uh, main uh, local election messages. Ad infinitum. Um, Stick around, we've got six of these exciting <laughs> questions. How, what's your sense the mood amongst Tory MPs and their attitude towards Boris Johnson right now? Uh, I think it's pretty febrile. I think there's a general sense that they want to see the local election results and they want to see how many more times the Prime Minister is fined. Um, my general sense as an old soak is that we've been up this hill many times with previous Prime Ministers and uh, uh, Tory MPs generally find excuses not to do things rather than to do things. But um, there's certainly the view in Downing Street is that he isn't quite out of the woods yet. Um, if he can survive until the summer, then he probably fights the next election. Um, there is a window after those local elections um, up to a sort of uh, the end of July where things could be pretty un, uh, pretty testy for the Prime Minister, but um, he's he's had these trials and tribulations before and um, he's ridden them out. So um, I'm not putting huge sums of money on him going. Well, there we are. Uh, here we go then. This is uh, PMQ's Unpacked. Uh, welcome along if you are watching online. Marie is in Indiana. Uh, Mr Fox is in Liverpool. Amanda's in France. Steve's in Cambridge. Stephen in Taunton. Nice to have you with us. Mickey in Plymouth. Uh, Lou in Pennsylvania. We've got people watching in Yorkshire, Bedford, Bangkok, Manchester, Germany, Cape Town. Uh, go online to the Times Radio YouTube channel. You can watch along as we go. We go live to the House of Commons. This is question number one from Keir Starmer. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. I know the Prime Minister will have whipped his backbenchers to scream and shout, and that's fine. That's fine. But I hope, I hope he's also sent a clear message that there's no place for sexism and misogyny or looking down on people because of where they come from in his party, in this House or in modern Britain. Yeah. Next year, Mr Speaker, the UK is set for the slowest growth and the highest inflation in the G7. Why is he failing to manage the economy? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, well, let me first of all say 
uh, in response to what the uh, right honourable gentleman, gentleman has said about sexism and uh, misogyny, that I uh, exchanged uh, messages with the right honourable lady over the weekend, and I, I repeat what I said to her. There could be absolutely no place uh, for such uh, behaviour or such uh, expression in this House, and we should treat each other, Mr Speaker, frankly, uh, with the respect uh, that each other deserves. So, and on, on his point about uh, the... Uh, the economy. Yes, of course it is true that there is a, uh, a crisis of global inflation uh, around, the, around the world, uh, but this government is, is tackling it, uh, with all sorts of, uh, it with all sorts of ways that you would expect, Mr Speaker, helping people with the cost of their, of their energy, a British energy, uh, uh, far more, by the way, than the Labour will put in, uh, a British energy security strategy to undo the mistakes of previous Labour governments, Mr Speaker. But, uh, but above all, above all, making sure, making sure that we have the fastest growth in the G7 last year, which would not have been possible if we listened, if we listened to him. And, and if we listened to him, we would have frankly never come out of lockdown, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, in, in, July, in, July, in July last year. And never forget, Mr. Speaker, that no Labour government has left office with unemployment lower than when they came. Just pause it there. Early got, use of the bell. Early use of the bell, therefore, um, uh, uh, you would still be in lockdown. I'm sure that Captain Hindsight is only just around the corner. Uh, we should point out that um, Angela Rayner is sitting uh, to Keir Starmer's left on the uh, on the front bench. With a very dignified look on her face. Yes. Nodding her head sagely rather than sort of shouting and hollering like she has sometimes been known Which to do. Which occasionally... Occasionally, occasionally does uh, might, might be known. Do you think how I was about to say has this story got legs? And I've realised the problem. Do, this story can't rumble on for another day, can it? No, I mean there's all, well, I mean anything is capable of rumbling on for another day in this world. But um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think uh, it, it's one of those where you've it sort of has worked quite well for the Labour Party. There are some people who uh, don't quite trust Angela Rona's denials that she's been joking about this. Um, uh, but at the same time, uh, by playing the indignation card, it has whipped up a whole sort of generational and uh, gender battle, which probably works quite well for the Labour Party and paints the Tories as a bunch of old-fashioned sexists. Um, and if you are in the business of uh, uh, winning elections and uh, trying to uh, tie your opponents, um, I think that's probably a decent win. She's turned what could have been a sort of negative to a reasonable positive for both herself and for... Uh, her party and um, quite how much it's cut through um, I'm not clear yet um, I haven't sat in any focus groups and listened to this but it's the sort of thing that does cut through because it's just a bit more interesting than your average uh, political uh, ding dong um, and uh, it's it's not probably very helpful for the government and there's now stories breaking that Tory uh, ministers have been watching I was pornography about to, I was about to mention on the just front that, bench of new, the House of Commons there's a new front on uh, this uh, Pippa Crewe from the Daily Mirror reporting a Tory front bencher was watching porn on his mobile phone in the House of Commons while sitting alongside a female minister uh, shot, uh, the minister told colleagues about the incident which happened in the last few months at a highly charged meeting of Tory MPs in Westminster last night Three sources said that around a dozen women MPs at the meeting shared accounts of alleged sexism and harassment by their colleagues. So that... Well, and Stephen Swim for The Times is now saying he's got a second person uh, doing this and a, uh, a female former minister who I would trust with my life uh, has messaged me to say that these stories are true. Well, we'll see. Uh, all eyes then on, uh, uh, on the front bench joined PMQs to see, see who's doing what. Uh, let's go back to question number two from Keir Starmer. 
Mr. Speaker, he sounds like the comical alley of the cost of living crisis. <laughs> he pretends the economy oh is booming, but where there are problems, they're global. But in the real world, our growth is set to be slower than every G20 country except one, Russia. And our inflation, our inflation is going to be double the rest of the G7. Does he think that denying the facts, staring him in the face, makes things better or worse for working people? Uh, Mr Speaker, the the facts are, as the IMF has said, that the UK came out of Covid uh, faster than anybody else. That's why we had the fastest growth in the G7 last year. That would not have happened, Mr Speaker, if we'd listened uh, to Captain Hindsight. And and if he studies studies their forecast, we will return uh, to being the fastest uh, by 2024 and the fastest in 2025, Mr Speaker. Uh, That's what the IMS forecasts say. He asks about... Read it. He asks about working people, Mr Speaker. This is the government, this is the party that supports working people. With the biggest increase, yes, yes, I'll tell you what's going up. The living wage is going up, Mr. Speaker, by record amounts. Uh, employment is going up, Mr. Speaker, uh, by record amounts. Uh, 500,000 more people. They don't want to hear. Let me just let me give them the figures. 500,000 more people in paid employment now than there were before the pandemic began, and youth unemployment, youth unemployment at or near record lows. Under Labour, just remind you, everybody, under Labour, youth unemployment rose by 45%. So, <laughs> Boris Johnson's response. Now, the reason that this is particularly pertinent, the reason that Keir Starmer is pushing this point about uh, what the IMF have said about projected growth is that Boris Johnson repeatedly has boasted that Britain has had the fastest growth in the uh, G7. He did it on the 15th of September, the 5th of January, the 31st of January, the 2nd of February, the 21st of February, and the 9th of March. He talked about having the fastest growth in the G7. I'm sure there were other examples where he used slightly different wording. You can't take all the credit last year and then try to ignore the fact we're bottom of the league table almost this year? Well, you sort of can because this is politics and, (laughs) um, you know, there are lies, damn lies and statistics, but the worst statistics of all are growth projections, which even someone who works for the OBR would tell you are literally never correct. Um, So, yes, you grab the numbers you want and you display them and uh, you'll swiftly uh, expose as a hypocrite shortly afterwards and then you'll find some new numbers, (laughs) as Boris Johnson did. He said, well, next year, the projections, they're great. It's all going to be great again. We'll just just ignore the gloomy bit. And actually, part of the only reason we were the fastest growing last year was because we had such a terrible economic slump Exactly, in we went deeper was, than everybody else. Everyone else. So, we, so we bounced back. back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very good of you not to draw uh, uh, even any reference to uh, the comical alley of the uh, cost oh, of living crisis. I think, I think the Which, response of the House of Commons chamber confirmed. There was one sort of <laughs> cackle. <laughs> oh, no, we're not laughing at that. It's one. all a bit 2003. I mean, that's literally nearly 20 years ago, comical <laughs> alley, and there'll be a very large number of people who have absolutely no the idea. The comical alley of the cost of living crisis obviously sounded better in My the meeting. My guess is you will not be dinging your bell. I don't that that's one making repeated use. No. I suspect we might get another Captain Hindsight. But anyway, uh, Tim Shipman's here with me. We're doing PMQ's Unpacked. You can listen along live on Times Radio, watch along live on the Times Radio YouTube channel and on the Times website on the Politics Live page. Uh, let's go back now. This is question number three from Keir Starmer. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, this must be the Oxford Union debating skills we've been hearing so much about. The reference to the Angela Rayner story question. again. Rambling incoherently. Yeah. 
throwing in garbled metaphors. Powerful stuff, Prime Minister. Garbled metaphors and the comical alleys. It's not just his words that are complacent, it's his actions as well. The cost of living crisis was blindingly obvious months ago. But he said worries about inflation were unfounded. And he backed a tax hiking budget. Does he think that his choice to be the only leader in the G7 to raise taxes during a cost of living crisis has made things better or worse for working people? Mr Speaker, as I've just explained to the House, and I'll repeat it uh, once more, uh, this Government and our Chancellor cut taxes on uh, working people. Uh, The national insurance contribution uh, went down, uh, Mr Speaker, by an average of £330. But if he's talking about about the health and care levy, maybe maybe that's what he's he's droning on about. Uh, Look at the health and care levy, Mr Speaker. That is what is enabling us to pay for 50,000 more nurses, uh, to pay for clearing the Covid backlogs. How tragic, how pitiful, how pitiful that the party of Bevan uh, should now be opposed to that investment in the NHS, Mr Speaker. Uh, Well, let's jump in there. Um, uh, Interestingly, so Keir Starmer's talking about, Boris Johnson said that fears about inflation were unfounded. Uh, Angela Wayne, do you remember her? She uh, brought up the same quote back in January... And Boris Johnson denied saying it. Said, I've said no such thing. Uh, Inflation is always something we have to be careful about. But back in October, in an interview with Sky News, Boris Johnson said, he was asked, are you worried about inflation? He replied, people have been worrying about inflation for a very long time. I'm looking at robust economic growth. And by the way, those fears have been unfounded. So you can make up your own minds uh, about that. I'm not sure we're learning a huge amount or or, or progressing terribly far. No, but far. the inflation one's interesting because, of course, Rishi Sunak uh, was telling Boris Johnson that inflation was going to be a problem in the middle of last year and wasn't being listened to. Um, so um, he'll be watching all this with uh, a degree Is he there? Of I haven't interest. clocked him on the front bench. Uh, he's not in the sort of oh, narrow-cut shots, is he? Um, probably just... OK, but let's hope that this picks up a little bit. PMQ's unbacked. Uh, we'll go back to question number four from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, he's an ostrich, perfectly happy, keeping his head in the sand. Working people are worried about paying their bills. They're spending less and cutting back. That's bad for business and bad for growth. Working people are looking for help. But this week, millions will look at their payslip and see a tax rise with his fingerprints all over it. Does he think that his 15th tax rise has made things better or worse for working people? Mr Speaker, what we're doing for, for working people is not only lifting the living wage by the, by the record amount, uh, helping people on universal credit with a £1,000 tax cut, Mr Speaker, uh, but also cutting uh, national insurance uh, contributions, lifting the threshold so that on average people pay £330 less, Mr Speaker. But what we're also doing is taking our country and our economy forward, investing in our NHS, which is a priority for the people of this country, unlike for the Labour Party, Mr. Speaker, but also ensuring that we have record creation of jobs, Mr. Speaker, and that is what matters. High wage, high skill jobs. Half a million more. They don't care about jobs, Mr. Speaker. We do. We do. We believe. 
high-skilled jobs, and that's the answer for the economy. I mean, apart from having a terrible joke-writing session this morning... I mean, it's really bad. He's uh, an ostrich! He's an ostrich. He's comical alley... Um, what was it his comical alley of the cost of living crisis? I mean, this is back to Ed Miliband, doesn't it? So um, this, it really I, is. I don't understand what Keir Starmer's trying to do. Because if you just go on, isn't the economy terrible and you're making a mess of it? Boris Johnson's going to stand up and say, no, everything's going really well. But if you're just talking past each other so you can both clip your answers and uh, stick them on Twitter, then I guess we're... I'm sure ostrich feel like they're achieving something. Um, well, is famous, he can't fly. I mean, one doesn't, want, <laughs> one doesn't want to put off listeners at 17 minutes past the hour, but, um, you know. Right, if, you, if you think you've got a better question, if you were Keir Starmer, he's got, what, two questions left. If you've got a better question for him to ask, get in touch. You can text me, 8722, start your message of the word Times. Tweet us at Times Radio. You can post a comment on the... Over there on the uh, on the YouTube. This is where we sort of have to build up excitement about the perorations. Yes, the perorations. Stick be about around the perorations. for the perorations. What question would you ask? Would you think Keir Starmer should ask a single question? Eight seven trouble two. Start message the word times. Tweet us at Times Radio. Post on the YouTube's. What question should Keir Starmer ask? Uh, we'll go back with a sense of I don't know. What is it? Concealed dread. Hope over experience. I think it's one of the. Uh, uh, what? Uh, how bad can these jokes get? That's what you're going to hang on for. Here exactly. we go. Let's go. Question number five from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, it's as if he's only just waking up to the cost of living crisis. And his big idea, fewer MOTs. It, it actually makes the Cones hotline sound visionary and inspirational. Oh, dear. North Sea oil producers are making oh, wind, so much unexpected profit. They call themselves... A cash machine. That cash could be used to keep energy bills down. Instead, he chooses, he chooses to protect their profits. Let household bills rocket and slap taxes on working people who are earning a living. Does he think that that choice has made things better or worse for working people? What we're doing is making things better for working people uh, than his plans would do by a mile, Mr Speaker. Uh, we're, we're, raising more, we're putting more to support people is that with their energy costs uh, than he would with his new tax on, on business. Uh, £9.1 billion pounds, uh, that we're putting in, an immediate £150 cut in people's council tax. Uh, their thing only raises £6.6 billion. Pounds. And what it, does, what it does is it clobbers the very businesses that we need to invest in energy to bring the, to bring the prices down for people across this country. Clean, green energy, the wind farms, the hydrogen that this country needs. And what this government is also doing, Mr Speaker, is reversing the tragic, historic mistake of the Labour Party in refusing to invest in nuclear. We're going to have, we're going to have a, nuclear, a nuclear reactor every year and not a nuclear reactor every decade, which is what we've got under Labour. Kistan was just asked the same question. Two or three times now? With an even older joke about the Cones hotline. Well, I've just looked up... 1992! June 1992. Put it in your diaries. We'll mark 30 years of the Cones hotline. Literally 30-year-old joke. A 30-year-old joke about the Cones hotline. That's going to bang on TikTok with the young people. Quite. We started with a 19-year-old joke and we've now advanced (laughs) to a 30-year-old joke. If he doesn't round this off with a sort of are you being served... Uh, uh, pun. I'll be half Hopman. 
Uh, well, none of you have really come up with, a very, with any better suggestions. Um, uh, Lou said if, uh, he should ask, if you get another notice, will you resign? Uh, lots of you asking, is Rishi Sunak there? Where's Pretty Patel? That's all good uh, questions. Um, uh, Tom is saying he could be asking about the COVID loan cash. This story, that's that's proper, like right across the front of the time. Suitcases stuffed full of COVID loan cash seized at UK border. That's something you could, you know, the chance is not even there. They've written off nearly five billion pounds lost to fraud. That's how you. Anyway, uh, Tom is also suggesting the care home ruling this morning. Uh, Matt says twelve years they've been in power, blaming Labour can't have that much cap, more capital. Surely, well, I don't know. We've just had. A Cones hotline joke. It's all happening. Boris Johnson pledging a nuclear reactor every year seems to me one that the Labour Party will probably want to return to in the future <laughs> as well. Um, yes. Uh, well, uh, stand by your beds, everyone. It's time for the peroration for the uh, the final exchange for possibly one of the worst PMQs we've had for a while. Is that... Well, I've enjoyed it. Well, I've enjoyed. I mean, it's always nice to see you, Tim. I think. I think we had a much nicer chat if it weren't so rudely interrupted by um... by this absolute dreck. (laughs) (laughs) Right, hold on to your spines, folks, because they are going to tingle. We go back to the House of Commons for the final question from Keir Starmer. So they're the party of excess oil and gas profits, and we're the party of working people. Throughout the cost of living crisis, first they let prices get out of control. Then they denied it was happening. They failed to do anything about it, and then they made it worse with higher taxes. Because of his choices, we are set to have the slowest growth and the highest inflation in the G7. Mr. Speaker. A vote for Labour next week is a vote for a very different... Ah, there we are. Well done, Tim. We would ask oil and gas companies to pay their fair share and reduce energy costs. We wouldn't hammer working people with the worst possible tax at the worst possible time. Lots of Tory MPs calling for the Speaker to intervene on this. Insulate homes to get bills down. And we'd close the tax avoidance schemes that have helped his Chancellor... Where is he? Reduce his family's tax bill while putting everyone else's up. That's a proper plan for the economy. So why doesn't he get on with it and finally make choices that make things better, not worse, for working people? Mr Speaker, I can tell the right honourable gentleman, I listened to him over many weeks and many years, uh, this guy is doomed to be a permanent spectator, Mr Speaker. We have a plan to fix the NHS and fix social care. They have no plan. We have a plan to fix our borders with our deal with Rwanda. They have no plan. We have a plan to take our economy forward. They have no plan. Let me, let me tell you something. He talks about the elections. He talks about the elections in a few days' time, Mr Speaker. Let me, let me, let me remind him that everywhere you look at Labour administration, it is a bankrupt shambles. Smith Council spent 20 Labour run Hammersmith spent £27,000 on EU flags, Mr. Speaker, after the referendum. Labour run Nottingham Council bankrupt because of their investment in some communist energy plan of the kind that, that he now favours. Uh, he should apologise for it. Labour run Croydon bankrupt, Mr. Speaker, because of their dodgy property deals. And look, never forget, never forget Labour run. 
Britain in 2010, bankrupt because of what the Labour government did. And they said they, said they had no money left. Mr Speaker, uh, he, he looks at council tax. Look at the difference between... He loves to... He mostly lives in Islington or Camden or, or somewhere like that. Uh, he, he should... Contrast, contrast neighbouring Westminster, which has the lowest council tax in the country, uh, and better services too. That's the difference between Labour and Conservative across the country, Mr Speaker. Vote Conservative on the 5th of May. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Well, on behalf of everyone in Times Radio, can I apologise about subjecting you to that? Uh, well, there we are. Tim I mean, Shipman. Boris Johnson did quite well for about the first 30 seconds of that nine-minute answer. <laughs> you know, he was pithier than Starmer, then he just started to ramble. I mean, it would be very legitimate for anyone listening to all of those exchanges to decide not to vote for anybody on May the 5th. They are the party of excess oil and gas profits. We are the party Stick of working that people. On your flag and there smoke it. Good lord! What's going on? Why aren't they better, Tim? Just silence. I don't know what to say. To that. <laughs> I mean, both sides have got some good people working for them, and they, you know, this Labour operation is much more competent than its predecessor, and Boris Johnson's new operation is a little bit sharper than. Uh, um, phase two of his uh, uh, of his Downing Street team, but my goodness me, um, I mean we bemoan the fact that they disappear on holiday or disappear for perder and all these things. But frankly, if that's the standard, uh, let's hope they take the next six months off. It sort of doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really understand what Keir Starmer's driving at. I don't. It's just such a waste of. There's so much, you know. You go through the papers, you know, literally looking on the front of the Times today. You've got Russia, you've got P and O, which Boris Johnson a few weeks ago said they were going to face the full force of the law. They've got no plan for that. You've got COVID loans. I mean, literally just going through the Times, you could find things to talk about. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, you know, you and I, I think there are two ways to approach it that you and I um, would advocate. One of which is slowly building an argument through six questions and ending with a crescendo. Uh, the other is that you, un- you know, you sort of wrong foot the Prime Minister by constantly dancing from subject to subject and giving him a pounding on uh, six things that might catch light. Um, and he didn't really do either of those today. Tom says, I'd rather watch paint dry than listen to any more of this dross. I think he's referring to Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer rather than you and I. I just hope so. I think people are really enjoying what we're doing. Um... <laughs> Uh, what do you think will happen next week? Do you think the local election is going to be too, so bad that Boris Johnson will have to go? Well, there's a lot of uh, expectation management going on. I saw one report that the Tories might lose 1,000 seats. They're only defending 1,300. So, that really, I mean, if they did lose 1,000 seats, that would be catastrophic. But the fact that that's been brief makes me think they're going to lose, they expect to lose three or 400 uh, rather than 1,000. Um, I mean, everyone you speak to in the Tory party claims it's going to be absolutely terrible. Um, I suspect that means it'll be quite bad. Um but I think it will take a combination of local election results and, um, you know, more fines for it to become a, a live issue again. And Rishi Sunak's implosion is not without consequence. It means that there isn't, a, a, you know, there's even less obvious who he would replace the Prime Minister if he were to go. Um, and that will be a consideration for a lot of people. You know, there's, yes, there's a mood developing for Jeremy Hunt. Everyone agrees Jeremy Hunt's a grown-up. Uh, some people rather like Jeremy Hunt. But a lot of the people who are most upset with Boris Johnson um, are not people who particularly want Jeremy Hunt to be the leader of their party. So uh, you do wonder um, 
uh, whether the, the the situation is quite there. Obviously, if it's really, really, really bad, um, anything is possible because Boris Johnson's argument to his party has always been that he's got more chance of winning elections than the rest of them. And for the most part, they've bought shares in that for the last few years. Um, they've had a few wobbles along the way. Um, but um, if that changes, you know, he can disappear quite quickly. But it's not immediately obvious to me who uh, would uh, be doing radically better at this point. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.